0: Transmitting high atop of Florida's altitude of 108 feet. It is my pleasure to bring you episode number 90 on Raider Cop Nation. I am Alpha Mike, your host on today's show. Our theme is The Grim Reaper. And this is a continuation of the Wise Guy series that we're doing on Raider Cop Nation. God, it's an interesting story. I, I found a lot of fascinating facts in this story while doing the research, and I can't wait to share it, and we're going to get with that in a minute. Of course, if you need to get in touch with us, it's as simple as going to rateacopnation.com, and it's that easy. Of course, once you go to the page, you scroll down, the icons pop up, the Twitter, the Facebook, the Instagram, and so forth. You can connect with us there, and be a part of the Cop Nation. Uh, our numbers on the Cop Nation uh, is getting higher and higher, <coughs> and uh, we really had an explosion this last episode. So a lot of a lot of interest from a lot of people. So we thank of the listeners and um, for tuning in today. The Grim Reaper. Interesting story. We've gone from the Banano family to the Gambino family, and now we're headed towards the Colombo family. Of course, after this, we're going to take a little breather from the Wise Guy series, and we're going to another series, which is going to uh, lift you up as well. But we have a big show today. But without any further ado, let's bring on the wise guy quote of the week. This week's quote comes from us from William Balsalmo. I want to kill this degenerate bastard brother of yours. But I'm not selfish. I don't want to deprive you of that honor. Mm. Quite fitting for the Wise guy series that we've been doing here on Rated Nation. That's a fact of life. This sacred honored society of wise guys kill best friends, family members, it doesn't matter. And they all cover it up with one proposition, and that is, it's only business. We have fascinated our listeners with aspects of the Banano family, the Gambino family, with uh, Louis Eppolito, and uh, the Mob Detective Series. And now we're dwelling into the one and only Colombo family, and looking at the interest aspects of this family, the interesting way that law enforcement, and specifically the FBI, how they dealt with this situation and this member of the Colombo family. So, let's get into the meat and potatoes and let's get the pot boiling. (laughs) Today is episode number 90, The Grim Reaper. Who are we speaking about specifically? Greg Scalpa, which was a capo, captain in the Colombo crime family. Now we start off in his place of birth, Brooklyn, at the born on May 8th, 1928. Gregory Scalpa was... And became a member of organized crime in the mid-50s. But before that, his brother, his older brother, had dealt in as an associate in the Provaci family of the five families of New York at the time. Of course, it was the Provaci family before it became the Colombo family. Brief little history on that. The Provacci family was one of the original families that was created in 1931 by Lucky Luciano in the commission. And it was the Provacci family all the way up into the 60s. Now, what occurred during that era, there was the Banana Wars, and we spoke about that briefly during the Banano Wise Guy series. And Carlo Gambino as well as the Lucchese family, they wanted to get rid of uh, Banano because he was plotting with the provacis to get rid of them. So there was a planned hit. Bonanno was trying to orchestrate against Carlo Gambino and the head of the Lucchese family. And at that time, the hit was given to the Provacci family. And... The hit was instilled to a captain in the Pravacci family, which was Joe Colombo. Colombo thought about it, counted his beans, and decided, you know what? I'm going to take uh, this information and I'm going to turn it over to the commission. And he did. And as a reward for his good behavior and not carrying out the orders of the Pravacci family, Carlo Gambino awarded him as a motion on the commission to become the new head of the Provaci family. And to cement that in gold, they threw out the name Provace and called it the Colombo family. And in our Wise Guy series, we're going to talk about Joe Colombo in the future. But today we're talking about Gregory Scappa and how he changed... um, a lot of the aspects of how the FBI worked organized crime cases. Now, as I said, his older brother, Sal uh, Scarpa, had become an associate in the Profaci family and showed young Greg the inner workings of the family. He also became an associate, and he really liked the operation and how it worked. And of course, back then in those days in the 50s, you had to do a piece of work in order to really be highlighted. And he wanted to be highlighted, Greg Scarpa, as a butt man, a hit man. So he carried out a piece of business for the Colombo or the Provaci family at the time and became a made member of the Provaci family. He, like all made members and all crime syndicate individuals, he's out there producing money. And one of the things that he loved to do was hijack trucks. Ah. Now, during the age of the late 50s, early 60s, the United States had this interstate crime commerce type of thing going when you stole merchandise and you cross state lines to another state, it became a federal crime. So at that time, the FBI was infatuated with those interstate crimes. So the FBI was big on hijacking stuff uh, during that time. And uh, Greg Scarper got arrested on uh, May 7th, 1960, for uh, hijacking trucks. But he also became, very secretly, when he was questioned by the FBI, a cooperative interest to the FBI. They basically told him, listen, we got you red-handed here. They served a warrant to his house where they found endless amount of, of materials that were stolen, liquor, cigarettes, and everything else. So they had the proof, and they probably had a couple of rats to go with it, so With little to no persuasion, Greg Scopper told the FBI, yeah, okay, I'll help you out. I'll give you information every now and then. Now, there was two types of thought here. One, the FBI said, we've got a confidential informant. And then two, Greg Scopper says, I got a license to steal. Two different idea sets, but... This was the element that was in front of him. So in the 60s, he was a cooperative informant to the FBI. And shortly after, he was giving them little tidbits here and there, um, hijack trucks, and they would show up and arrest everybody and woo, woo, woo. My guess is <clears throat> that he was giving the FBI the competition's loads and getting rid of them and uh, profiting His end, even more. Intelligent. Now, another thing that needs to be um, recalled is that uh, back then there was no RICO statute. So uh, this thing with a cooperative witness was you dealt in certain things. The FBI kind of had like a, dumber-than-dumber dumber attitude of what you might have been doing as long as you're feeding the animal, and the animal in this case being the FBI. Easy trade-off. Now, the FBI has shown us that they are capable of doing a lot more than dealing with some hijacked trucks today. If you're the police, where are you bad? So this has been an ongoing thing with the FBI, these deals and negotiations as I said the last podcast, when our criminal justice system works a deal out with a mass murderer that killed 19 people to walk free to get rearrested again, badges. that tells you a lot about our criminal justice system. We ain't got no badges. So Greg Scarper now is working for the FBI. We don't need no budgets. He's doing his thing and he's up and coming now because he's got an in. Of course, he can't tell his buddies over in the mob at the Wimpy's Boys Social Club in Brooklyn because uh, that would not get him a good table in the social club. So he keeps it to himself. He keeps it on the wraps. And as a result, he starts to flourish. He becomes an enforcer in the Colombo family and a force to be reckoned with. Now, in the 60s, the FBI concocted this crazy idea that they had an issue that occurred in the South with three civil rights activists that had gotten into a situation where they disappeared and then they were discovered dead. So there was a big uproar about that in I don't have to show you any stinking society in general, within the media. And there was only excuse me, one way to fix that. So the FBI was given the case and somebody over at the FBI office said, why don't we bring in Greg Scapra and have him go down south and get some information for us. Now let's see how this works. You're going to go deep down south where the KKK lives. You being... And American I Italian, and you're gonna just blend in? I get it. Well, stranger things have been seen, but our friend here, Greg Scarpa, does pull it off. And he goes down there, and the FBI documents have recorded him as confidential informant uh, 3461. That's his number, 3461. And They sent them down uh, to obtain information in a case of the civil rights workers. It's also believed that he was working the case of uh, what's known as the Mississippi burning case with its uh, three civil rights. And and there are a couple other cases he was working through. But anyway, Greg Scalper goes to the FBI, points to the guy that they want him to to kind of intercept. Now, I think here there might have been two forms of thinking also. The FBI said, well, you know, gregs he has got a criminal mentality. He knows how to work the system. He'll, you know, talk to this guy, befriend him, and get some information. Well, Greg says, I'm not going to be there all day. I'm just going to juice this guy up and get what I want. And that's exactly what he did. He walked into this uh, individual's place of business and he was talking to him about some electronics. said, yeah, I'll show you out back. As they were walking out back, he put a gun to the guy's back, uh, took him out to the back alley, worked him over and uh, told him to start talking or else. And uh, the guy from the KKK he sang like a bird. Greg Scapper turned that information over to his uh, FBI handler under the uh, under the control number of 3461, and chirp, 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 and it worked. FBI, years later, I might add, did make a lot of successful arrests in those cases. So Scapa was working the FBI, and he was working them pretty good. They were asking, he was giving... <coughs> And his mindset, he was doing one and one thing only. I'm not going to rat on my family, and I'm definitely not going to rat on my crew. Everybody else is fair game here. And he did that. Now, time goes on, starts to evolve, and we go into another time period, and... Then he almost drowned in three inches of water. As Scalper again, he becomes a copo. And we're talking in the mid '60s now. This guy was made in the mid '50s, in the '60s he was a captain already, and now we're we're, we're bouncing all the way into 1985 with the big uh, commission case, and is in the picture, and he had a he had the Wimpy's the Wimpy Boys Social Club in Brooklyn. He was feared by many. And he was a known killer, stone hard man, and no nonsense. Nobody wanted to fool around with him. Um, after the commission case of the 85, <clears throat> remember I told you there was a couple of dates that we had to remember when we deal with the Italian Mafia here. Oh, no. 1931. Those. We've got to deal with uh, eras of 1956, 1957. We've got to look at the '60s when the banana wars and all that. Four. And then we've got to look at the '70s when they started making members mid '70s like crazy. Cinco. And then 1985 with the Great Commission case. that knocked out four families. One. The Lucchese. Two. The Gambinos. Three. The Genovese. And the Columbos. They were knocked out of the park in the 1985 Commission case. The Bananos were on timeout. Their leader was in jail already. So the FBI really wasn't concentrating on them. So where Greg Scarpa works this out, the boss at the time of the Colombo family was Carmine Persico, which recently died. And he put an acting captain as an acting boss while he attended to this minor commission case in prison. And he first appointed his brother, but his brother got arrested, his son, his son got arrested. So he ends up appointing Vic Arena, which was a captain of Colombo family. And he says, you're the acting street boss. Well, Vic, he liked the position so much, the chair was really comfortable. He says, you know what, I think I'm going to keep this. Forget him, he's in prison. And so is his brother and everybody else. So he takes the position and a war breaks out between the Loyalists, the Persico family, and those that were back in Vicorina's play. Now, there was a consulary at the time. Remember, we said that the consulary is the counselor to the boss. He operates as a street boss, too. And he didn't want to get caught in the middle here of this feud. So he thought he'd do a poll and basically said he would bring in the captains to the social club and he would say, you know what's going on? Who do you buy? Who do you back? And based on your suggestion or who you, who you picked, he'd take out a little score sheet and he mark an X. So he calls Craig, Scarpa into the social club and he says uh, you know that there's a war going on and Vic arena's the acting boss and Persa goes in prison who do you back so Scarpa being an old goat remember this is 1986 around there and he got inducted in the in about 55 so do the math on that one so he looks at the Consolari, and he tells him, uh, let me think about it. So he goes, okay. I mean, if you have to. He goes, yeah, it's a big decision. Let me think about it. He walks out. So as he's walking out, is following him, and he says, Craig, why didn't you just tell me who you're backing? He goes, oh, I really got to think about it. Let me, But let me suggest something to you. Never ask me that question in public ever again. Needless to say, several days later, the consulary was never heard of or seen again. Now, there is a possibility that Greg Scarper could have had something to do with it. He became a loyalist of the Persico family. He believed in the old f- form of schooling that he learned. The boss is the boss. And what Vic Arena and the boys wanted to do, he, didn't, he wasn't down with it. So, Scarper, 12 people died, and it is believed that he eliminated, personally, half of that. Says. During that war and that skirmish. So, he is a force to be reckoned with, and all this time, he's flapping the jaws with the FBI. Now, what's interesting in this case is that his original agreement with the FBI is in 1960 before the RICO. Now, it's RICO's already set in motion, and it's a whole new era. But the FBI is still dealing with Gregory Scopra like they did in the 50s. Now, the agent that first originally worked the case with him is gone. He's retired now. And a new agent comes in, one called Lynn DeVecchio. And he was an up-and-coming uh, agent at the time. And he was assigned to the Colombo family. So he thought he'd make a big grand entrance and go straight to Scarfer's house, park in front of his driveway, driveway, stand there. as Scarfer came out and said, who in the F are you? He introduced himself and he said, I want you to teach me everything about the FBI. And supposedly the story is that Scarfer said, okay. Well, I don't think the conversation really went down like that. I think that he said, I'm your next FBI handler. And he said, yeah, sure. As long as you don't say those four little letters, Rico, I've got no problem. And he kept on talking, but this time this new agent wasn't as slick as the old one. And uh, so he played him a little bit better. And somehow He abstracted information from him, And some of the information that he got from him resulted in people dying. But we'll get to that in a minute. But one of the things about the Grim Reaper, as he was affectionately called, people feared him. Nobody wanted to mess with him. If anybody that was associated with the mob knew that he was a no fool around guy, he was very serious. And as a joke, his social club was called the Wimpy Boys Club, and everybody knew that that wasn't the case. But one of the things he did, he would pop aspirin like if they were m M&M, knocking out four, five, six in one shot. That produced some ulcer issues for him. And he eventually, Greg Scarper, had to get surgery as a result of his abuse of aspirin. So he goes in to get his surgery, but they have to do transfusion of blood. And he said, no, 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 no. I don't want nobody else's blood. He said, I don't know who they belong to. You're going to get the blood from the people in my crew. the doctors didn't care as long as they get the blood. But one of the guys in his crew was infected with HIV. As a result, Greg Scarpa ended up obtaining HIV as well. So the Grim Reaper is about to get grimmed. He goes on. He sues the um, the hospital, I believe, and he wins uh, out of court settlement, saying they didn't screen the people properly, and rightfully so. So we're deep into the Colombo War. We're in 1986. the The great case had gone by in '85. All these bosses now, the family had gone to prison in huge vacuums out on the street, but nobody wanted to mess with Greg Scarpo. That was for sure. He knew what he wanted, and he wasn't going to sit back and let anybody uh, manipulate him in any way, especially with the amount of seniority that he had. Now, the Colombo War goes into the 90s, 91, and uh, on one specific day, Scarpo goes out with his crew. They go out to South Brooklyn, and they're looking for certain people in the faction of, uh, of Vicorina, and to start whacking them so the numbers are not as even. And they find uh, a gentleman by the name of Vinnie Fadaruguro. And he was, you know, having a good time hanging up Christmas lights. It was December 6, 1991. And uh, they were going to have, an, I guess, a nice Christmas dinner. But Greg had a different idea. He shot and killed him on his landscape as he was uh, putting up the Christmas lights. So, no Christmas party uh, for them. Uh, back in 92, he had an issue with his son. And uh, now, by, by the time 1992 rolls around, the effects of the HIV virus are taking their tolls, loss in weight, and he wasn't of his right mind. But on a specific night, his son comes home. And he's a little upset, and there's a little carry-on going on. <coughs> and he's sitting in the living room, Craig. And uh, the wife uh, tames from the son, something happened. And uh, he goes, what happened? And the wife tells Greg, uh, somebody robbed your son. What do you mean, somebody robbed my son? Nobody robs my son. Well, needless to say, he told his son, get in the car. And they went to go take care of business. Now, where he's pulling up to is um, some associates of the Lucchese crime family. And that, even that story is a little little, little wacky as itself because they're associates. And he's a made member. And not only a made member, he's a captain in a different faction. But needless to say, we'll put that to the side for now. A lot of the information that we're talking about, we're going to place it on the show notes so you can read along. So his son uh, ends up getting robbed, and his, his son Joey, and he goes with them to this guy's house, and these are two brothers and some other associates in the Lucchese family. And the, the robbing issue had to do something with drugs. And um, so Scarfer gets out of the car. He drives up in his Cadillac. They look out the window and they go, "Oh God, this guy told his dad." So they, they, one of them had the bright idea. Let's all carry guns and go outside and meet him. So as they go outside, he goes, "What's this business? will you guys robbed my son?" No, he owed me money, that this and that, but I don't have any problem. Neither do I. So they were everybody's copying deuces. Nobody had a problem. So he says, "All right," he tells his son, "Come on, guy, get out of the car. Come around the corner here. You two make up," and they made up. Everybody was happy. They're walking away. Everybody's going. Uh, they're going back into the house. And he starts getting back in the car. And Scarpa says, obviously, these guys did not go to the old school of mafia like I did. He pulls out his gun and starts whacking away. And the shootout begins. And uh, it's three on one now. But uh, the old man's hanging pretty tough. But during the gun battle, the there was a shot. That actually hit him when he was in the driver's seat of the car, somehow went in his cavity of his nose and exited out his eye, his left eye, and he drove home. He walked home with a shirt covering his eye, bleeding all over the place, went up to the bathroom family's all screaming, we're going to call an ambulance. He goes, I didn't call nobody. I'm fine. And when he took this shirt off that he had in front of him, his eye was missing. Well, obviously, they told him, you can't just stand there with no eye. you got to go to the hospital. So he did go to the hospital. Of course, police <clears throat> were in on this, and it ended up being a self-defense thing. He pulled the gun on me, pulled the gun on me, and you know all that. So he couldn't pin it on anybody, so nothing really happened. But, um, uh, the associates from the Lucchese family were protected by the Lucchese family because these uh, three individuals were earners. They were bringing in money. So they weren't going to whack them. And to me, what's a little far-fetched from that is how did that go down? I don't know. When you're a captain in another family, and these guys are not made, and and they're, they're not on the ground yet. So something's a little fishy on how that went. And I believe that it has to do with the type of offense. And the offense was that they were dealing in drugs. So if Scarfer admitted that this argument with his son was about drugs, I would say, well, you're not allowed to be doing that. So he played dumb. So he didn't know what was going on. So it stayed. I'm sure the old man had plans to go back and whack them. But unfortunately... Uh, His time is now numbered more than ever. By the time 1993 rolls around, he's weak. The AIDS virus is really taking a toll on him. And they've got him on a bunch of uh, murders. Because one of the mistakes that he made with his handler, Lynn um, DeVecchio, (coughs) was that he told his FBI handler that certain information about crews, as I told you, were doing robberies. But now the FBI handler is asking about the specific murders that occurred in the Colombo War. Now, remember, I told you there was up to 12 deaths, and Scarper was probably responsible for half of that. Well, he's not going to take the blame for it. not going to tell this guy it was me. So... He knows he's got to come up with something. So he pins on somebody in the crew that, eh, we'll get rid of him. Who cares? And that was the mortal mistake that he made. Remember the AIDS epidemic, he wasn't thinking straight. And he ends up uh, turning himself in on that move because the FBI arrested the guy that he mentioned. And uh, the guy turned rat. And once he turned rat, that was the end of Scarper. So by uh, March 6, 1993, there was no other way around it. He pled guilty to three murders. And because he pled guilty, he got 10 years. Now, who who admits to three murders and gets 10 years if this person is not cooperating with the FBI? Of course, he while he was serving his sentence, he never did the complete 10 years the following year. On June 4th, 1994, Scarper dies as a result of the HIV virus, weighing a whopping 56 pounds at his death. So, the Grim Reaper got ripped and uh, ended up doing himself in. What's sad is that he says that he was responsible for probably in the area of 50 to 16 murders, and his career, and that the FBI knew uh, most of these issues and played stupid and looked the other way. Now, let's go back to his handler, Agent Lynn DeVecchio, which is probably about 80 years old now. But in, the I believe it was the year 2000, 2004, 2006, and again, I'm going to post this information on... uh, 2007 on the show notes so you can read it he's charged by the brooklyn district attorney's office the fbi agent is charged with murder well the district attorney of the of brooklyn basically said the fbi agent gave craig scarper the address of individuals that turned up dead of course De Vecchio denies this, and the trial it goes to court. And a very sloppy case on the part of the uh, district attorney. They did not do a, a very good case. That could have been by design, but they ended up losing the case, and De Vecchio has acquitted a lot of the FBI agents. Now, here's the big thing. At the time of his arrest, he is the supervising agent of the New York City office. So, if these weren't alarm bell ringing issues for today, I don't know what is. There's some moral compass issue that's wrong with the FBI, and I don't know what it is, but I can tell you from example, I worked uh, as a range instructor. And they were on a different range from ours, just down the block. And they wouldn't talk to you if you were. Uh, they wouldn't piss on you if you caught on fire. They had nothing to say to you. They were arrogant as as all out hell. They they having a conversation with a a regular officer was like uh, underneath them. And a lot of it is what they're t- trained and taught in their academies. They are kind of brainwashed as as they get into the FBI that you're a superior law enforcement officer. You're not the local yokel. Don't trust the local yokel because they're all corrupt and no good. And they start to drink the, the Kool-Aid in believing it. So it doesn't surprise me, but this case in 2007 was, was a very eye-opening case that although... DeVecchio was set free and the district attorney's office didn't persuade it. I, I think that the the message was sent and that was that some of the behavior that the FBI have been doing and in the Grim Reapers case as far back as the sixties when they started wheeling and dealing with uh, with with De Vecchio, I mean with uh with Scarper, I I believe that that's what really opened up uh, my eyes, that uh, they'll do anything and go to any length whatsoever to get what they want. And it's uh, sad, but it's true. There's something very wrong happening at the FBI, and it's not just... um, It's a moral compass that... Whatever the objective is, they will go full steam ahead towards the objective and they will negotiate with anybody. The district attorney of Brooklyn said that DeVecchio made the deal with the devil in order to get information at any cost and even to the cost of dead bodies. Of course, it wasn't proven, but it didn't play very well. And it didn't play very well, of course with um, the FBI over at the headquarters building. They didn't like what they were hearing either. And obviously they had a runaway train on their hands. DeVecchio does retire. He goes to Florida in 1992, opens up an investig- excuse me, an investigative company. He's probably in his 80s now. I'm sure he's uh, well into glory days in retirement. And um, I'm not accusing him of this. He was acquitted of it. But what I am saying is when you deal with these dangerous people, you've got to cross your T and dot your eyes because somehow, somewhere, somebody believes that the FBI allowed made members in the Colombo crime family gave them information to whack people. That's some serious stuff. As always, I knew that this information would be mind-boggling to those that hear it in the crime and the Wise guy series as we continue them. We were talking about the Grim Reaper, Greg Scapa, Captain, and the Columbo crime family from 19, let's say, 55, I believe, is when he was made, all the way up until his death in 1993. This man was a button in the Colombo family, very feared. His nickname tells you everything, the Grim Reaper. And he had a under-the-table relationship with the Federal Bureau of Investigations. And it was so peculiar what was occurring that the Brooklyn District Attorney's Office charged the last FBI handler that Greg Scapa had, a guy by the name of Lynn DeVecchio, and charged him with murder that says a lot my friends that says a lot i hope that you are enjoying the wise guy series we are moving forward and all these we're having a great time uh, presenting you a lot of these shows um the, the as i said the numbers are going up the ratings are going up and um so we're happy about that i people like to hear about bad guys why can't i tell you so we're definitely going to provide a lot more than just this. We're going to uh, come up with a series of shows on Wiseguy. Now it's, We're going to switch out a little bit from the Italian mafia, and we're going to start going into other crime syndicates as well. Now remember, if you go to our webpage, RadarCopNation.com, and you go to current and upcoming shows, On the toolbar on top, a window opens and it shows you our five elements of shows. First one is Think Out of the Box, Train Up Series, the Sidebar Series, which deals with the Wacky Left, the Roll Call Series, the Day-to-Day Operations of Law Enforcement, and the Wise Guy Series, of course, we're dealing about organized crime. If you go down to the organized crime thing, you'll see a list of shows that we have on there. And that's, those are the upcoming shows that we're going to have. And um, we've all, we're have we going to have uh, the G- uh, Genovese, the Lucchese, the Russian mob, the Irish mob, the Mexican cartel, the, the Chinese mob, the triads, the Yakuza, the Japanese mob, the Greek mob, the Sicilian, Albanian, Colombian, the outfit, the Philly mob, the Jersey mob, the New England mob, the Mafica, the mafia, La M, which is a criminal enterprise, too. Very fascinating um, how they operate. A lot of them operate with similar functions, but different mentalities, and that's what we ex- examine here on Red Cop Nation. So, what's up next? Well, we, we always have surprises for you, but we're going to start dealing in some of... Uh, our pending shows that we had. So we're going to uh, start diving into uh, weapons. And why? Because the crazy left is at it again, regulating use of force for officers in California. Of course, California is also trying to take every gun out of every U.S. citizen's hands. So we're going to jump into that, and so this, we're going to keep you on your toes, but episode 91 will take us in the direction where we're going to go in the month of July, as always folks, it is my honor and my privilege to be your host on Raider Cop Nation, oh don't forget it is so important. To continue in prayer, praying for you, most importantly, because without you being saved or salvaged or healed, it's hard to continue praying. Pray for your family, pray for your loved ones, pray for your community, and pray for the agency that serves you. And most importantly, continue in prayer for the great country of ours, the United States of America. This is Alpha Mike. Roger out. And guide her through the night with a light from above. From the mountains to the prairies to the oceans white with foam, God bless them. to so-